Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Welcome to episode number 66 of the Generative Energy Podcast. I am your solo host today, Danny Roddy. <laughs> uh, Georgie should be probably getting on a plane to maybe Bulgaria today, so he, he couldn't join me. And uh, I was going to find a co-host, but to be honest with you, I'm a little bit short on time to set all of that up and spring it on somebody within a few days that they'll co-host the show with me. Um, but that being said, I think we have enough questions uh, today to have a good, interesting show. Um, and you guys came through very quickly. I asked for questions this morning. I was planning on filming this episode on Friday, but I didn't have enough time. <laughs> so we're going to do it today. And again, I think I got enough questions to, for this to be a good episode. So again, you guys always come through. Sincerely appreciate it. I know I always say this, but we've an amazing listenership. So thank you guys so much. Uh, give this episode a like. Or if you're listening on YouTube or obviously not on Spotify or any other platform, we're also on Odyssey and BitChute and uh, where else are we? Uh, and the Telegram is too. I've been uploading the episodes there. Okay. So is there anything else to get through? I think so. So I always start off whenever I'm alone here talking about like a mission statement for these solo streams. And so I think if uh, something good were to come out of this, <laughs> uh, shedding light on underutilized resources, inspiring people to create their own resources like Evernote uh, or Notion or Roam, uh, inspiring people to experiment. Uh, and here's a Bucky Fuller quote, and it's every time man makes a new experiment, he always learns more. He cannot learn less. And here's Carl Rogers. He says, experience is, for me, the highest authority. The touchstone of validity is my own experience. Then another Bucky quote. He says, I'm not a genius. I'm just a tremendous bundle of experience. <laughs> and then Maslow's quote, uh, you will either step uh, forward into growth or you will step back into safety. Okay, now with that said, Let's get into these. So the, we have first two that are kind of similar. So I'll read the first one here. Um, and I don't know if they wanted me to say their name or not, so I'll just won't. They say, how do you check yourself in terms of your own potential confirmation bias to ensure that you're not perpetually stuck in your own very, your very own personal echo chamber? Relatedly, how do you look at success stories and inf information uh, about other diets and approaches that have worked for people, and when you find these things, do you do lots of mental gymnastics <laughs> uh, in order to protect your own uh, worldview? Do you, do you have to put forth lots of effort to protect a potentially uh, fragile worldview, which might be painful to, uh, to be disrupted? And then we have a, another, another one from Eric. He says, uh, yes, do you see yourself looking back at this time of your life and thinking, man, I was so dogmatic, viewed it just like veganism or carnivore. So I don't really think it's compelling if I go, I'm not dogmatic. <laughs> you know, I don't think that's really a good answer, uh, and nor would I want people to accept that as an answer. And so uh, maybe I could explain my approach for like adjudicating where a person is coming from when I uh, catch wind of a new health person, but I pay extremely close attention to how they talk. And I think you can sense kind of authoritarian behavior by how somebody expresses themselves and, and, and how they talk to other people. And when somebody asks them a question, what they say, you know, and so you could do the same thing for me. And then you could make a judgment on whether I was extremely dogmatic about the things I believe or, or not. And so, um, yeah, I, I feel like that will be always be something that will be launched at anybody with an opinion in the, the health sphere. I'm okay with it. I've kind of had a long, uh, not, 
not very long, but uh, I mean, in the the health sphere, I've been noodling around for more than 10 years, you know? And so to kind of uh, maybe, maybe not that many people are familiar, but I used to have a blog, uh, Danny Roddy, or I used to post on dannyroddy.com. And before this, I had dannystourfood.blogspot.com. And so you can kind of catch uh, <laughs> like a different version of myself on this if you go to Wayback Machine. And so here I'm like uh, kind of going through Pete versus Paleo in 2011 here. And uh, again, I, I just I, I think I'm just a more immature version of myself in these articles. Uh, but just trying to figure out what's going on, trying to figure out a theory that explains not only my own experience, but um, just kind of a grand view of health and things like that. So 2011, the root of all evil, sugar, estrogen. So these were the kind of questions I was asking myself. This was, I think, in between time when I was stuck on a pemmican as an antibiotic and getting into Ray's stuff a little bit. Uh, still talking about hair loss here. A root canal post here. <laughs> and I have some other ones. Uh, okay, so this was, uh, this was something else that was extremely important to me. The person was like, how do you... Um, how do you know what you know now is, is true? And I don't, you know, I think we're all trying to figure out, um, what I think we're all in a process of learning and I've never stated that I'm not in that process and I have it all figured out or anything. I just think, I think Ray has a great amount of information. You know, I think you can learn a lot from him and I think he's more right than anybody else I've ever encountered. <laughs> but anyways, okay. So January 16, 2012, I started a uh, article series. One, this is called the lens of a Pete a I should have just said Pete <laughs> part one, the perfect health diet. And then I can't find the other ones, but I went through a bunch like carnivore fruitarianism. Uh, this is the perfect health diet used to be really popular uh, back in the day. Um, and I, I was, again, I was so, enthusiastic about Ray because I thought he explained so much uh, different um, health modalities and why they would work. For example, like veganism tends to be fairly low fat. And I, I would think that eating a low, lower fat diet would have a bunch of different benefits. I would think a carnivore diet that uh, had a high saturated fat content protein would also get a person to a certain level of health and exclude all the toxic things in the food supply. Like our food supply is so terrible that eating a fruitarian diet will improve the person's health, tends to improve the person's health, possibly. <laughs> the carnivore diet will tend to improve a person's health, possibly. And uh, and these other types of diets, like again, just excluding the vegetable and seed oils, the myriad of different additives in the food, like carrageenan, the guar gums and um, citric acid and uh, silica, silicon supplements and things like there are so many toxic things in the food that all these different diet modalities tend to exclude some level of toxic things. And I think it will improve a person's health. And so again, I only kind of got to this point by, um, getting into Ray's work and, and, and trying to figure out what he was saying. So again, I just thought he had the most comprehensive view I had ever seen. And, uh, and again, you can see here, so I'm writing about this in 2011. I think there are actually even older articles in this. And I'm still interested in it. <laughs> so it's just, I just, uh, I'm not done learning. I still have a long way to go, you know? And, and again, it's like, why should I jettison this point of view when I, I feel like it explains so much? And I don't, is that dogmatic? <laughs> I think it, I think it helps um, orient myself in, in this world and understand the world and myself better. Like, I, I don't know if that, if that's dogmatic, then I, I guess I'm very dogmatic. <laughs> uh, okay. So did I not get to any part of these questions? Um, the one other thing, so he says, how do you check yourself? I'm, 
So when I'm having a problem or something, maybe, maybe I'll try to find out what Ray Pete says about it, but I will not limit, limit myself to what Ray Pete says. Like I'll always keep things open to, to what's going on. You know, in fact, I think in the email wiki, you can actually see one of my messages to him. And I'm thinking I'm, I'm like taking thyroid and it's not warming me up. And I ask him and I, I'm fairly certain his reply back to me mentioned a bunch of different things that uh, could possibly be interfering with like thyroid metabolism. But none of those were actually the things that really helped me move forward. As I mentioned a bunch of times, it was antibiotics were actually the most kind of one of the most important things for getting over this big hump that I had uh, that I must have been nursing an infection for a, a long period of time. Anyways, that's not on Ray's. That's not a Ray to figure out my health problem. I'm just saying I asked him something. He to, he told me something. And again, I'm it's I was looking outside of what he was saying specifically to try to f- fix my own problems. And again, uh, to uh, reply to this person, uh, I don't think only a person that ate a pro-metabolic diet, whatever the hell that is, like would be healthy. I, again, I can understand a bunch of different diet modalities, why that would improve the person's health. And um, it's not a mystery to me or it doesn't like clash with my, uh, oh, everybody has to be eating carb- sugar or uh, gelatin to, to be healthy. Uh, and Eric says, yes, you, uh, and do you feel like you'll look back at yourself? And, uh, I don't, I don't, I, I mean, I look back at everything I do as being like immature, <laughs> you know, like even the live streams I think are, I, I can't even watch some of them. I'm like so embarrassed to, to, to like, I, I think I was so nervous when we were doing them, you know? And so again, this isn't like a natural process for me. You know, I know some people want to be famous. They want to be like, out, uh, be a star or whatever. That's not really my, um, that has never been my orientation. It's always been utilitarian to put this information out. And mostly because I'm interested in it and basically because I can, uh, I'm like interested in like the setup of a live stream and the making graphics and things. And I, I, I thought it was always fun to do. And it's, um, and again, there's never not something to learn. It's especially when you bump into somebody like Ray who knows so much and you can ask him about the universe and, or the body or, uh, psychological things or whatever. And he, and he has something, uh, he has some wisdom to share about that. Okay. So 20 minutes later, (laughs) I have finished those two questions here. And again, if you're extremely bored or suicidally bored, you can check out, uh, the, the Danny Roddy web blog. Uh, and I was joking with Kyle and Leo that maybe I should send a cease and desist to Paul Saladino about animal-based nutrition since I had it on my site, I think probably around 2010 or so. I'm just joking, by the way. Okay, next question here. Okay, uh, what do you think Ray Pete gets wrong? And or uh, does your current nutritional paradigm differ from Ray in any areas? Um, let me make this a little lighter. Uh I, so again, I just think of myself as like a student of Ray's. I'm always trying to understand what he's saying. You know, like um, it, it's it's always like an uphill battle for me to understand all these things. And it's uh, like glycolysis and the electron transport chain and the Krebs cycle. Those are those are not like areas of my expert understanding or anything. So again, I'm always uh, learning, and uh, I. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Maybe Ray is wrong about Bitcoin. He seems to pretty down on it. I'm, I have a little bit of hope for it, but, um, 
again, I, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a bullish person in that it's going to save the world or anything, but it does seem appealing. Like I used to think it was just some kind of CIA thing. And then I watched, um, there's a guy named, uh, barely. Oh, um, barely sociable. Okay. Oh, I don't have, uh, sorry. This is a setup on a new browser. I don't have YouTube search here. Um, uh, anyways, if you're mildly interested in this, uh, he has a video called Bitcoin Unmasking Satoshi Nakamoto. And I thought he did a good job ex- kind of theorizing who it might be. It's like a libertarian named Adam Back. And so again, I have no idea. I don't have a strong opinion about this, but Ray is super anti and I, I don't know. I'm like a, a little bit uh, questioned if he's right about that. But again, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not an expert on Bitcoin, um, so I wouldn't say, oh, you're definitely wrong or anything. And then he says, does your current nutritional paradigm differ from Ray's in any areas? Uh, so this is kind of related. Uh, I did, when I when I got here back to Mexico, I talked to Ray and I was like, do you ever need a uh, thyroid when you're here? And he's like, no, I tended to need like no supplementation when I was in Mexico, probably because of the altitude and the culture and things. And uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to try that. And then I went horrifically hypothyroid. <laughs> so... Uh, that's not, I mean, it, my millennial health is probably way different than Ray's, um, silent era health, you know? And so I think we're probably radically different people and have had like, I don't know, radically, I know Ray was sick when he was younger, you know, but, um, I don't know. I feel like I was, uh, I had like, I think there's a question about this, but I had really bad asthma when I was younger. You know, my mom gave me my vaccine status cards when, I went back to Laguna Beach a long time ago and I was like horrified how many vaccines I had gotten. Um, so I was taking the albuterol for a long period of time. I had a bunch of dental extra. I remember I had braces when I was younger, g- chronically going to the dentist and them always giving me x-rays. And then I, and so again, I just, uh, it's hard to quantify, like quantify how much, um, harm was, uh, kind of done to me as a young child. Also, I like love peanut butter, <laughs> one of the highest proof of food, you know? Um, so anyways, uh, I'm trying to say that, uh, I don't like, I don't treat myself like if, if Ray some, says something that's interesting, but it doesn't necessarily apply to me, uh, for example, his thyroid use in, uh, Mexico. Like I can't get away with that. I wish, I wish I could. Um, but other than that, I, I like, I, 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 I think he's onto something with the higher protein, the higher calcium diet, eating liver, eating oysters. Like, I don't think that his stuff is like super complex or anything. When, when, when you apply it, you know, it's, uh, I think it's relatively simple, like trying to increase the metabolic rate with things like salt and uh, sugar and calcium, and then providing nutrition at the same time, like the liver and oysters and eggs, uh, like a, um, a intestinal disinfectant daily, you know, um, thyroid is a thing that takes the most work because of that three week ramp up and the three week ramp down, like a person before taking thyroid should read Broda Barnes's book, Hypothyroidism, Unsuspected Illness. They should get a thyroid supplement that actually works. You know, I talked to so many people that take those desiccated over-the-counter products. I don't think they work. Or at, even worse, you don't know what's in them. And so I, I really only vouch for Sinoplus and Sinomel. Okay, uh, what is the estrogen industry and how have they kicked their sugar industries ass so hard? Why would sugar be demonized for no reason? seems like there's a lot of money in it too. I don't really understand the interworkings uh, between the estrogen and sugar industry and things like that. Things like that. Um, I know know Ray does, but I never really got into it. Uh, Seed oil avoider. (laughs) 
Uh, Danny origin story. Uh, what was health like in childhood? So I kind of explained it. I don't think I had uh, really great health. I think I, I grew up kind of of a bored kid. Uh, I was like always into computers and video games and things like that. I don't think that was really ideal. Um, I, again, it wasn't my childhood wasn't bad, but it was just kind of boring. And I think I was like an unstimulated kid that developed way later, like in my life, probably my late twenties. Um, then Jill says, I'd like to hear how to improve nitric oxide levels and the downsides of supplementation plus reliable, uh, any sources that, uh, that may be helpful. Okay. You guys can see this. Um, this stuff is, this is so small. Um, nitric oxide. Um, to, to Jill, was that her name? Jill? I, I would recommend reading this paper uh, by, I always talk about it, but I really think it's like the best paper on the subject. It's by McCann, the nitric oxide uh, hypothesis of aging. And long story short, I don't know if you want to increase nitric oxide. I know that's something they always say, but uh, it activates so many <laughs> parts of the stress system. I think it like, uh, uh, breaks down arachidonic acid into the prostaglandins. It, uh, inter um, it activates CRH or what is it? Corticotropin release hormone, which is like a kickoff to the whole st stress response. It inactivates mitochondria. It just does like, um, almost everything bad that you can possibly think of. So I think the safe vasodilator that promotes mitochondrial health is uh, carbon dioxide. And so I think that's the thing that's uh, rarely talked about. They'll say increase nitric oxide, increase nitric oxide. But I think it's um, carbon dioxide is the one you do want to increase. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. Let's do a, a short milk break here. Guys, thank you so much. Sincerely appreciate it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Okay, this is one question that I didn't copy over. Uh, they say, bring the photo album and show us some pictures and tell us some wild stories. <laughs> I honestly, honestly wanted to do this, but um, since I, I was going to record this on Friday, it's Tuesday, and so this is a quick setup and a quick <laughs> quick kind of thing. And so I would have had to jump on my hard drives and pick some out. But that, I could have showed you a vegan Danny and, and younger kind of hypothyroid Danny that I, maybe I'll do that for another time because I did think that was um, that would have been funny. Um, I think there were lots of questions about Mexico, but Tammy says, the best places to live in Mexico for a repeat-inspired expat what do you like about Mexico the most? Is it easy to source pro-metabolic foods in Mexico? Um, I, where I live is very beautiful. Like when you walk down the streets, it's all sorts of colors and things like that. And so whenever I go get food or something, it's just like always a nice walk. It's, uh, it's just not, it's like imperfect. The streets are kind of broken a lot of the times and things, but that's kind of the charm of Mexico that it's not very sterile. Uh, like I, I lived in Irvine, California, which is like the most sterile place you can possibly live, you know? And I, I like that imperfection about Mexico. Um, I don't know the best places to live in Mexico. Like, um, so again, another thing I was going to do is I was going to ask Ray, somebody else, not me, set up a call with Ray, uh, to talk about kind of escaping the tyranny that's happening right now. And Ray dropped a lot of gems about Mexico and he was super pro Mexico where a lot of us were shocked how pro he was. We, I always knew he liked it, but he was saying 
he thought it'd be resistant to a lot of the changes that were happening in the next five, 10 years. And so I wanted, I wanted to send him email, ask him if I could edit it and then play it on the stream. But I would have had to do that before Friday and it's Tuesday. So I just didn't get a chance to do that. Um, so again, I think the, the beauty of Mexico is, is really there. Um, is it easy to source pro metabolic foods? I think so where I'm where I am in San Miguel day and day. I don't know about other places. Um, yeah, so uh, we're looking at Petscuaro, which is like a, another place, but we haven't been there yet. And um, but right now, kind of central Mexico is where I think we might hang out. But any everything's up in the air right now. Okay, so let me go to the YouTube ones. Oh, they're right here. Okay. Okay, guys, thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> subscribe to the channel, even though it doesn't really matter. Uh, hit the like button. That really helps me out. I sincerely appreciate it. Leave a comment below. That also helps us out, guys. Uh, thank you guys so much. Again, next week will be right, Pete. And I think it's going to be me and him. And so I'm going to hit everybody up for questions probably on Monday. And you guys can really help me out by providing some interesting questions because I think that is uh, always a nice thing to lean on, having great questions from you guys to, to interview Ray. And okay. Uh, Julian says, thoughts on pine pollen. Will androgens in pine pollen be readily absorbed? Benefits. I, I have no idea. I've never studied pine pollen. Okay, so we're zero for one. <laughs> uh, Max Adira says, please give us an uh, in-depth update on the situation in Mexico. Kind of like the way Georgie does with what's going on in D.C., attitudes, events, vaccine uptake, general atmosphere, that sort of thing. Also, how easy is it to get uh, set up in Mexico? I'm in the U.K. Uh, and then what's the point? Yeah, I, I think it, so <laughs> I know I said I'm a fan of Mexico. I actually don't really follow a lot uh, what's going on in the news here. And so my friend does, and she'll continuously like send me updates about what's going on and everything looks promising, you know, kind of the rejection of the green new deal type of stuff. And, and again, talking to Ray and him having high praise for it. Uh, so somebody was like, you said, you've never said anything that made me want to live in Mexico. Again, I don't care if people come to Mexico, or not, but I think I complain a lot about the, the Americans here because there's lots of Americans that come from like California and live here and they bring their psychotic, uh, brains with them. And so that's the bad part about being where I am that they're here and they are crazy. And but the good thing is because of the the wealth of the the Americans and the expats, this place is nice to live because there's lots of like organic shops and things like that. And that isn't everywhere around Mexico. So it's kind of like a, uh, I don't know, you take the good with the bad, I guess. And, and again, on, the only negative experiences I've ever had were all Americans, <laughs> like, oh, like every single one. And so... It's just uh, if, and I could avoid that if I went to a more rural location or something like that, or if I didn't live in the, the kind of the heart of the city of San Miguel. So, okay. To an actually answer this person's question, the, anyways, the Mexicans I've met are dope, you know, no, uh, n nothing to complain about there. Um, even people with like face tattoos and stuff like I'll always say what's up to them on the screen. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I just say uh, hi to everybody. I really like that. Um, I like the atmosphere again, uh, aside from the crazy California people that, that move here and take their, um, insanity with them. Yeah. And, and again, the, even the Mexicans complain about it. You know, there's two guys in an organic shop 
and they called it my, I might be butchering this, but my, my Asiato. And it's like, uh, it means like a pig in a pen, just like getting super fat on corn. And that's what they call like some of the foreigners that like watch the news. They're just ruining their brains watching the news on all this, um, just total nonsense, you know? And so again, it's, um, I don't know how, how easy is it to get, get set up? I mean, you probably have to work remotely, you know, unless you've saved up tons of cash. Um, I, with Airbnb and stuff granted, I mean, how long are people going to be able to use Airbnb without like a vaccination record? I don't know, but that makes it pretty simple. You could probably get a way cheaper place, not using Airbnb. I don't know. I think it's pretty simple. Um, it's probably even simpler if you know somebody like I kind of moved here cold Turkey and it was fairly difficult, but I just had, if you speak Spanish, probably super easy. Uh, Again, it's just making that huge leap of leaving somewhere you're familiar with and going to somewhere you're not familiar with. Um, okay, Julian says top three places in Mexico. Again, I'm not the person to ask because I'm a homebody and I really only stayed in San Miguel. Mortaza says, how has your D... Oh, how much... How long have we been... St- okay, 24. Uh, guys, give this episode a like. Appreciate it. <laughs> Mortaza says, how has your DHD experiment been going? Any other subs, pharma drugs you've been trying lately? Thanks. So, uh, I think I mentioned this, but I only got DHT because somebody that listens to the podcast works in a lab and sent me the powder. And then I purchased some of Georgie's Tokovit to dissolve it in. And I used it. Uh, I mean, many times I, I wasn't lying when I talked about it. I thought it really like calmed me down uh, before a podcast. And so again, it's that can, that's like probably the most stressful thing I'll do in a month are these podcasts, you know? And because again, I'm doing lots of things. I have to call Georgie might be five minutes late or something. I have to get Ray on the phone. We're waiting for Georgie or something. And uh, it, it's just like slightly stressful to put all that stuff together. And I'm running lots of programs and like something won't work. And it's again, it's just a lot on me to do at the same time. And then also have to have a try to have a good conversation at the same time. Again, I, I like doing it, but it is it's a lot to do at the same time. And so when I was doing that and using DHT, I thought it really helped and it calmed me down. But since then, I I really don't use DHT that much. I might use like a milligram before a podcast, but I don't know how much different it would be uh, than not using it. And so again, I maybe at that just that right time or something used it used it using it really calmed me down. But now maybe maybe it's because I've been using more uh, DHEA and maybe that's having a similar type of effect. But again, if somebody's extraordinarily ill or something, it, it might be something like um, a powerful thing, like Ray said, to push a person in a different direction. But um, I don't know, like when it runs out, when I run out of the power uh, powder, am I going to order more? Probably no. And so again, it's um, it's it's been it's I, that person that sent it to me. Infinite thanks, and I've I'm glad it's an experiment I have under my belt. But I I don't know. Uh, it was very useful for a moment, and then maybe I tweaked something that had a similar effect. And so I don't think it's like a panacea or anything. Um, and then any other subs, pharma drugs it, you've been trying lately? Not, not really. I'm like really into um, uh, <laughs> thyroid, uh, liver, um, using vitamin D, laying out whenever possible. Using an aspirin before bed. Oh, the one other thing I've been uh, incorporating a little bit uh, recently is the coffee before bed. And so I've been doing that on and off for a long time, but I kind of forgot about it and then just remembered and have been doing it recently. Um, 
there was an experiment for that uh, Mercola tent <laughs> and it's just, it was really hot here. And so I just stopped using it and it's like sitting over there. I haven't even set it up for probably like two months. And uh, it was just kind of annoying to get in and out of. And if it was too hot, it was the tent would be too hot. And so upon retrospect, it's probably better to get uh, a canopy, but that's probably a lot. It's a lot more work because you have to like under put something under the bed unless the floor is grounded or you're on like a basement type of thing. Um, so I, I wouldn't really advocate the tent situation. At least it didn't, it didn't work really work for me, but sometimes I'll buy something and I won't really use it that much. And, and, and then like six months later, I'll start using it. So there's always a possibility that happens, but, um, who knows? Okay. Kennedy says, talk more about the shipping logistics nightmare. So, I mean, long story short, when I use FedEx and DHL in Mexico, they like confiscated everything. And FedEx was just the worst experience I've ever had. They just will take a package, uh, tell you they're going to release it, but then not release it. Send you through like a hierarchy of talking to people that doesn't go anywhere. And I remember talking to some, I was trying to get like a, a package with like a thousand dollars worth of supplements. Don't ask me why I ordered a thousand dollars. It was a bad move. But anyways, it was just, uh, I didn't have a thousand dollars to waste and FedEx basically just never released the package to me. And it was, um, ultra annoying, even talking to them. I'd rather had them say earlier that we're never going to give you this package, but it took like four months to figure that out. How detrimental do you really think a six to eight hour eating window really is if all of the nutritional needs, uh, were met? I don't really think it's about meeting nutritional needs i think it's about um expelling your liver glycogen and like dipping into that adrenaline cortisol state and so uh, th this would probably be dependent on the person like if you were a few hours into your fast or something and your temperature and your pulse decreased i don't think it'd be serving the person and so what well, if that if that would be the ultimate arbiter i think of uh the benefit of that whole that whole thing okay I don't think I know this one, uh, but I'm 27 have been eating pro metabolic foods for over a year now. When I wake up with my joints hurt and it hurts to walk initially, I've heard Ray say that that has uh, something to do with parathyroid hormone, anything I can do to relieve that. I always drink milk before bed and I take aspirin. The pain is still there though. I think, I don't know if that's technically like fibromyalgia territory, um, but I think that's been studied in relation to, oh, that's not what I wanted. Uh, I thought I had a thyroid paper. Oh, thyroid function in patients with uh, fibromyalgia. However, patients with primary fibromyalgia responded with a significantly lower secretion of thyrotropin and thyrohormones to TRH with an observation period of thyroid received significantly higher increase in prolactin. Yeah, so I mean, if PTH and prolactin, I think, have a like bio, a bidirectional relationship. And, uh, okay. Uh, the results show that an excess of plasma prolactin is associated with an excess of plasma PTH and vice versa. So taking vitamin D, getting calcium, but this sounds serious enough to maybe go get some blood tests like the total cholesterol, the prolactin, the vitamin D. The parathyroid hormone, uh, the TSH, and kind of go from there. Like if that's having like chronic pain and pain is not fun, and I don't recommend just like um, winging it. You know, uh, investing a hundred or two hundred bucks might really, uh, I don't know, just allow a person to see what's going on. 
Thoughts on what to do for Bell's palsy and that was not induced from a recent vaccination. I haven't I haven't studied it before. It's worth, you know, being forced to film myself. <laughs> I noticed for a long time my left side of my face was less active than my right. And that uh, taking thyroid makes it go, um, not completely go away, but it's way less. I don't know. You tell me. I think it's less noticeable. But there are some videos that it's like my left side of my face is extremely droopy. And so I don't I don't know why that is. I, I'm sure it has something to do with uh, nerves. <laughs> uh, Ray has a newsletter called like R Restoring Nerve Function. And so getting a hold of that might be useful. Uh, so Angela again, she says, if I want to stop taking thyroid, do I need to wean off of it? Um, I think that would be a good strategy. Okay, we're at 32 minutes here. Guys, thank you so much. Give this episode a like. Sincerely appreciate it. Leave a comment, and I'll try to get back to as many of them as possible. Okay, RK says, uh, how will you manage if you wouldn't be able to get thyroid supplementation? Are you ex experiencing improvements in your own thyroid function after years of uh, supporting a lifestyle? Can thyroid supplementation hinder your own uh, hormone production? So my stance on this is that kind of perfecting a person's health is an uphill battle because the environment is so, so bad. And not even to mention the things that happen during the key developmental years of the person's life <laughs> that were extremely harmful, that would shift a person in a different direction. And so, uh, so yeah, like I, I find great benefit from thyroid. I think of ever all these things like a, a tool, forming a toolbox to make life a little bit easier, you know, and thyroid takes this primary spot in my toolbox of just, um, helping me function, helping me talk to people, to help, helping me to do emails, helping me to do these live streams, all the things I consider at work, you know? And if I, if I don't do that, I'll just be like a slug in bed or something and I'll watch YouTube all day and it just, it won't be a very productive version of myself. And so again, it's like, I could spend all day asking why did, why did this happen? Why can't I just have like perfect thyroid function? Uh, but it doesn't really matter. <laughs> and so again, the, whatever happened to me during development, you know, I greatly benefit from thyroid and I could spend all my life trying to figure that out of why that is. Uh, but it's just, it's not even worth it. You know, I do like asking those big questions and things like that. And I think my thyroid need has decreased with time, but it's just something I don't wrestle around with. It's just uh, very useful for me. I'm not like ashamed of, <laughs> I'm not a naturalist or an, I don't have a naturalistic uh, tendency. Like I only need to do things that I, whatever the hell natural is, you know, cause we don't live in a natural environment, but I experience the benefit from the thyroid. So I take it. I, and I, I don't, um, I don't wrestle around with that. Uh, can thyroid supplementation hinder your own hormone production? Uh, yeah, I think that's actually the benefit from it. So sometimes a person will have a high level of TSH, which I think is inflammatory. Um, it's, well, there's a paper. Oh. And so if you look on those uh, tests for... TSH, they'll say it will be like 0.4 to 4.5 or something. And so this paper talks about things greater than two being too high. And Ray has a quote somewhere and he's like, I've never met a person with a TSH, TSH level of two and they, that they were comfortable with their health. And in my limited experience, that seems to be extremely true. And uh, there are even papers you can find that talk about uh, lower excuse me, lower being even better. 
So this paper in 2008, they say reference range for TSH is 0, uh, 0.5 to 1.4. Um, thyrotropin levels within re a reference range were positively and linearly associated with uh, cardiovascular disease and mortality in women. The results indicate that relatively low but clinically normal thyroid function may increase the risk for fatal coronary heart disease. Um, and so again, this this just feeds into Ray uh, Ray's point that you want this very low. And here's another one talking about I think thyroid cancer, keeping it under 0.4. And so again. Uh, and also, given W.D. Dunkel's work, uh, Dunkel, uh, he, he has a variety of papers about the whole function of the pituitary reducing a person's response to uh, thyroid function and re reducing their consumption of oxygen. And so that would just lead to hyperventilation and the deterioration of every system, I think. So anyways, um, yeah, when you take thyroid, you lower your TSH, you lower your prolactin, you interfere with your own hormonal synthesis, which is, I think, therapeutic. And so you, you want to do that, but people on the internet will say, you don't want to interfere with your own thyroid uh, production, but I don't think they have any idea what they're talking about. Um, <laughs> uh, ben Ban, what is the meaning of life? I have no idea. Uh, Fab says, if you took a baby aspirin 100 milligrams every day, what do you take vitamin K daily as well? Or what do you Reserve that expensive vitamin for higher doses of daily aspirin intake. I don't, uh, the only experience I have with this question is I, I was taking lots of aspirin in Thailand and the like kind of the resort thing we were staying at, I uh, cut my toe on this board and I thought I was taking enough aspirin and I wasn't. And so uh, I, I think I was taking only a gram or two, but I was taking probably the equivalent of like maybe four or five milligrams of uh, uh, vitamin K and I was kind of shocked that I wasn't taking enough. And so maybe, I mean, that's a lot more than 350 or 100. But uh, if you cut yourself and you bleed a lot, I think that's a clue that you're um, maybe not making enough protein, what is it, protein S and protein C in the liver. And uh, vitamin K helps restore those um, pro, uh, proteins. Uh, aspirin. Uh, do I have the audio set on here? Okay. <laughs> uh, vitamin K has its own protective effects against clotting and forming a protein S and protein C, uh, especially in higher doses by vitamin K antagonism. Salicylates can induce hemorrhage by both inhibiting platelet aggregation and especially in higher doses by vitamin K. Can be explained by the reduction of protein K, uh, <laughs> vitamin K dependent protein C level. Uh, so yeah, I... I don't know, but vitamin K has good effects on its own. And so you just might want to take it in every day in general. Um, but uh, yeah, you probably want to take some amount of vitamin K if you were taking aspirin. Okay. Possible causes for a male, 46 years old, loss of leg hair on calves, but not restless legs, thyroid. Well, interesting you say that. <laughs> so uh, I did not... Um, I really give credit to somebody I talk with through email for redirecting me. I, I didn't know what this, this was called. It's called anterior lateral leg alopecia. And I knew that it existed, but I just didn't know that name of it. And apparently it's from like vascular uh, insufficiency. And so I think um, the 
vascular system will be susceptible to uh, stiffening and hardening, like hardening of the arteries as a person gets older, as they experience like an intense level of stress and the redistribution of calcium into the soft tissues rather than the um, bones and teeth and things. And apparently that can result in, um, uh, that can result in the baldness of the lower legs. And so this is something I, I noticed a long time ago, probably in like 2017, I had uh, like on the inner of my uh, thighs uh, had hair loss. And I was like, what the, what the heck is that? And I could never figure it out. And then I remember taking kind of larger doses of vitamin D and the hair like noticeably regrowing in that area. And, um, uh, uh, um, let me just find arterial stiffness and that uh, arterial stiffness is like intimately, intimately associated with vitamin D deficiency, parathyroid hormone, prolactin, arterial stiffness, a central event in aging. Um, where's the vitamin D? Uh, arterial stiffness. Arterial stiffness was improved by vitamin D3 supplementation in a dose-dependent manner in overweight African-Americans with vitamin D deficiency. And again, so I think this is just uh, where the calcium is going and it's going into soft tissues and it's causing that. Um, and again, this is probably just the, the, patho the pathology of pattern baldness in general, kind of um, circulatory system uh, problems, aging in general, and hardening of the arteries. I don't think that's that controversial. And again, that probably has effects on the brain, you know, uh, not allowing the oxygen and sugar uh, delivered to the brain. And I talked to, well, we, we talked about it with Ray not too long ago. He dropped a really interesting fact. Uh, I put it on my Twitter here. Baldness is a ex uh, brain excited toxicity problem. And he goes, yeah, you're not keeping your back part of your brain differentiated adequately from your front. And so again, the a big energy problem, the calcium going where it's not, it doesn't belong and carbon dioxide being one of the critical factors for keeping excess uh, calcium outside of cells. And um, my buddy, Kyle Mamunis with very normal views. <laughs> uh, oh man, Kyle, which one did he talk about carbon dioxide? I don't know. Kyle has a talk about carbon dioxide. I think his it's his first. Uh, I think it's this one, the H AHS sixteen. Uh, Kyle Mamunis, and he talks about carbon dioxide. How it drags calcium out of cells. And Ray has talked about that too. But if you just watch this, I think you'll get a lot of um, Ray Pete the theory in here that Kyle does a really good job with. Um. Okay. At 42 minutes. We'll try to go for an hour here, guys. Let me get a milk break. <laughs> okay. Okay. Did you notice an increase in fat gain on the stomach and acne from drinking coffee? As soon as I drink it, it starts to get fatter and acne gets worse. Furthermore, my penis goes numb. Well, um, I don't... Uh, so I think somebody else did send me this paper too. I don't know. It's talking about lipid peroxidation and acne. And so I don't know. I could maybe hypothesize maybe you're drinking it on an empty stomach or something or with not enough fat or with not enough food. It's causing low blood sugar. And that could cause a liberation of free fatty acids and it's susceptible to lipid peroxidation, the, especially the PUFA. And so uh, this paper is talking about the... Um, 
In addition, we present a novel hypothesis in which lipid peroxidation may be priming and increased susceptibility to comorbid depression and anxiety in those with acne. Indeed, indicate a lipid peroxidation itself matched the lights and inflammatory cascade in acne. So, uh, so yeah, that'd be my just wild guess here, but I, I'd probably need more information on this. Um, yeah, maybe adding a fat to it or adding more sugar or doing both. Okay. Conrad says, TSH 1.4, uh, low free T4, high free T3, high es- uh, estrogen, high cholesterol, high LDH, um, HDL, <laughs> or no, no, lactate dehydrogenase in them. Um, doctor says thyroid is great. Could this be hypo? Temps aren't great. So I would look at the temperature and the pulse as the ultimate arbiters of thyroid function. And then I would move on to the, the total cholesterol. And I think, so I've no, I've talked to lots of people with very low levels of TSH, like under one. I know I said earlier that you want your TSH under one, but if, if you're not taking thyroid and you, you have a suppressed TSH, that might be, um, adrenaline. I've talked to lots and lots and lots of people that, ha- that have experienced this. In fact, my girlfriend in San Francisco had this exact situ- situation. Ray says aging, infection, trauma, prolonged cortisol, excess, uh, statin, which I think is growth hormone, dopamine or L-dopa, adrenaline, sometimes uh, amphetamine, caffeine, and fever can lower TSH apart from the effects of apart from the effects of the feedback by thyroid hormones creating a situation in which the TSH can appear normal or low at the same time there is real hypothyroidism. And so I don't, uh, these high free teeth, the free T3 and free T4 in my estimation are completely useless. I don't even ask people to get those tests. And I look at, um, this is very old, but it doesn't mean it's not true. Uh, thyroid administration produces a sharp drop in serum cholesterol in every case. This is accompanied by a rise in the basal metabolic rate. Lipid levels, uh, this is 2000, lipid levels increased in a graded fashion as the thyroid function declined. The prevalence of abnormal biochemical thyroid function reported here is substantial and confirms previous reports in smaller populations. Among patients taking thyroid medication, only 60% were Within the normal range of TSH, these results confirm that the thyroid dysfunction is common, may often go undetected, and may be associated associated with adverse health outcomes that can be avoided by serum TSH measurement. And this paper is talking about the mechanism of thyroid uh, turning over cholesterol into bile acids and um, pregnenolone, progesterone, DHEA, lowering the total cholesterol and the LDL. So anyways, you could drink more milk than that could lower the cholesterol. Um, Oh, just a minute. Milk has something they call like a hypocholesterolemic effect of milk. And I think they thought like two to four liters of milk could help lower the cholesterol. And again, I'm not framing cholesterol like it's a bad thing. Like it's this, I think it's just an adaptive um, substance that increases with stress and lowers when the thyroid function is higher. And uh, you could lower it with something like milk or if the situation is more dire, you could investigate a thyroid supplement. 
And did this person say they were young? I don't know how old this person is. Okay. Studies about 30% poof of pork, chicken, eggs that Ray talks about. I, I don't even know. Um, I don't even know what this is referring to. Um, I don't know. You'd have to give, give me more details. Uh, Isaac says, is it just me or all the bioenergetic interventions? Very gentle and comfortable. No fasting, restriction, intense exercise. I wonder if this is intentional or coincidence. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> just a coincidence. No, I think Ray is hesitant to, I mean, Ray isn't the arbiter of the bioenergetic approach or whatever. It's, I think it's bigger than him. You know, the Albert St. Georgie, Otto Warburg, William F. Koch. And I mean, Ray makes that explicitly clear that he's among many different people that thought this way. And, um, yeah, always being weary of like interventions that are harmful or harming the person, you know, or causing symptoms to get worse. I'm weary of those types of things. Thoughts on taking just a T3 supplement when no T3 plus T4 is available. I mean, if you have confidence in the T3 supplement, I don't see why that would be a problem. Okay, uh, what do you think of the state of low-fat milk in the uh, is in the U.S.? I've drank a few milks that have given me horrible digestion. I know uh, that Ray has recommended people start buying full-fat milk and skimming it themselves, which is difficult to judge how much fat you are drinking. So I, I couldn't speak to this. I don't know how bad it is just because I haven't been in the U.S. In like, since like 2016. I could... Organic value was good at that time, but I've heard people say it's horrible now, or maybe it's being things are being added to it or something. So I think Ray drinks Lucerne milk, but maybe he stopped and I and I did hear that he was talking about going to a farmer and skimming milk or something. So again, if a person gets hor horrific digestion from milk, that I mean that's an obvious clue that something is seriously wrong. Uh, for what it's worth, you know this milk is um, cold pasteurized. And it has the milk, the fat sticks to the top if I lay them in the refrigerator. And so I'll just take it out and pour it into another bottle and then save the fat for like coffee or something. So, um, yeah, I'm sure the milk is getting worse, you know, and just trying to find a good brand is probably a big project. L uh, lesser known ways to increase DHT. Um, getting the thyroid function up, getting the vitamin D level up, uh, Taking DHEA, I think those are some of the main ways. T taking aspirin, you know, I think that has an androgenic effect. Uh, what are the benefits of mushroom soup over the carrot salad? I, I, this seems to be like a half-half type of thing. Some people say they do like awesome on mushrooms and the carrot doesn't do anything for them and vice versa. And so I think it's just another thing to try if the carrot doesn't do anything or you could switch off between the two. Have you tried casing yet? Um, did I say I didn't try it? <laughs> um, I think I tried it once. <laughs> uh, let me, I think I'm not signed into this. So it's going to like kick me up. I, 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 Kitty Blomfield of, um, sent me a thing of it a long time ago, but it was just like, we were moving around and see, I can't, um, I tried it once, but I, I never got to like consistently use it. So, I mean, I guess that's a no. I really, I really haven't tried it, but I'm ex extremely not. I, I just don't do well on a lot of powders and things, so I, I don't. E I wouldn't even be really motivated to include it probably in my regular nutrition. Uh, is anstaxanthin a good sun protectorant, and would taking it regularly cause uh, 
foreseeable issues is it is one of the most powerful antioxidants on earth. And some people have used it to improve the eyesight as well. It's sort of like uh, melan melanin in the skin. It's something that's more powerful. Imagine there has to be some sort of downside. I've used it a few times, have the whitest, most easily damaged skin imaginable. It works really well. I don't get sunburns even after long sun exposure. Thanks, Katie. Um, uh, I don't know that much about this. so I don't even think I have any notes on it. Oh, so again, I'm not saying this is, this is right or whatever. This is, I, I defer to Ray when I don't know about something. And so this is an old, so this is 2015. Oh, great. Thank you, Evernote. Okay. <laughs> For those listening on audio, I'm wrestling with my Evernote right now. Uh, okay, let me try to read this. This stuff is so small. It's This laptop is tiny. Okay, what do you think of natural antizanthin? Um, Ray says, I think it's much safer than carotene, less likely to interfere with the hormone synthesis. And then he lists a bunch of abstracts. So, that, I mean, there, there it is. I don't, I don't know anything about it. I used it a long time ago, but I have no like, recollection of what it did or... Didn't do. I just remember being really expensive. Okay. Um, Lynn says, Hey, Danny, can you please discuss approaches to treating mast cell activation syndrome, bioenergetic perspective? I don't know a lot about mast cell activation syndrome, but mast cells, I do have lots of notes on those. Let's give it an excellent tag. Uh, things like parathyroid hormone, things like carbon dioxide, things like thyroid, I think that all influences the, the migration and activation of mast cells. I think uh, estrogen causes the degranulation of mast cells. I think uh, parathyroid hormone um, also does uh, vitamin D. The data demonstrate that vitamin D is required to maintain st stability of mast cells. The deficiency of vitamin D results in mast cell activation. Um, sorry, I can like barely even see these. I can't make this window bigger. Um, a lot of these are about hair loss, but I think they, they generally apply to um, mast cells. Uh, anyways, long story short, it, almost everything we talk about on this podcast from thyroid to carbon dioxide to calcium to vitamin D to um, Reducing inflammation with things like aspirin, I think all of that stuff reduces the um, mobilization of mast cells and also the degranulation with they release histamine and a bunch of other inflammatory mediators. I think I asked Ray a long time ago, maybe I could find it, uh, wh what he thought about mast cells, mast cells and he said, uh, no, that wasn't it. Here we go. So this is in 2015. He said, following from my understanding of the impl implantation process of an embryo in the uterus and the function of mast cells there leading to formation of the placenta, I'm inclined to think of them as potential agents of tissue renewal or regeneration. I think their activation by estrogen and the quieting by progesterone suggests that they are probably activators and guides for stem cell formation and differentiation, depending on the availability of support. Their presence in cancers has always seemed to me to indicate that both allergies and cancer are mainly systemic energy problems. That's the one thing I forgot to mention. It is fairly 
well established that um, estrogen activates, mobilizes, and activates uh, mast cells, and progesterone does the exact opposite. And there is a paper. I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it here. Um, Uh, guys, thanks for hanging out. <laughs> Give this episode a like. Seriously, appreciate it. Um, leave a comment. I'll try to answer it. Oh, yeah, it was this Menzies paper. Anyways, I won't, I won't read this whole thing, but this is basically saying what I just said, leading to more substantial degranulation uh, release of histamine and serotonin. Uh, I think that was exposure to estrogens. And um, the exact opposite happening with progesterone. So, okay. Uh, we're at 56 minutes. Let me go. Oh, that was, was that the last question? <laughs> you know what? I think I had Patreon questions. This is embarrassing. I had Patreon questions, but I, it's going to take me too long to l- log in to Patreon on this computer. That's not logged into it. And I'd have to show you guys all my passwords. <laughs> so, okay. Maybe we'll get through those. Um, Next time. I apologize. I think there were like two or three questions on the Patreon. Um, my fault, guys. This was, Again, I set this up in a rush to, to get this done because I wasn't ex- expecting to film tonight, but it just kind of worked out because somebody didn't show up to their appointment. Um, is that everything? Let's see if... Uh, let's go back here one more time. Yeah, that looks like everything. <laughs> okay, guys, is there anything else I want to say? Use this time uh, constructively. Let me refresh this. So I had 28. Yes, yeah, still 28. Um, oh, we do. Okay, we have one more. Okay, I have migraine, vertigo, Virgo being the worst. The only trigger is stormy weather, a bar- uh, barometric pressure dropping. Any suge- uh, suggestions? Also, for yours now, I've had a oin inflammation marker uh, CRP. And fibromyalgia, uh, fibromyalgia, pain around joints, worsened by activity, not in joints around them. Any ideas? Could it be lactic acid? And how would I lower that? I eat peat-inspired and take that. Yeah, this would be another one of those situations where I'd ask for tests and not just like uh, wing it, you know? Because that sounds like it's a serious quality of life thing. Um, I'd ask this person how their dige- digestion was, the vertigo thing. Whenever somebody's mentioned that, it's usually um, related to digestion. I don't fully understand that, the relationship, but it seems fairly common. Um, so again, I'd pro- I need more information to even have a slightly useful perspective about that. Okay, guys, I guess that's it. I could go a little bit longer, but I don't have any other questions. <laughs> Good, guys, thank you so much. Give this episode a like. Uh, next week, right, Pete, and I will be pulling questions from you guys probably on Monday. And so I'd uh, love it if you guys provided some excellent questions to bounce off, right? Cause I'll be riding solo with him and that's always a invigorating experience. <laughs> uh, so again, guys, thank you so much. We have an amazing listenership. Uh, the show has grown massively in the last uh, year or so. And I think we started do No, we started before that. Uh, maybe the end of 2019 or so. But anyways, it's it's just it's been a fun ride and it keeps getting better and better. And uh, you guys are all to, to responsible for the show being what it is. So thank you guys so much. Um, again, give this episode a like. 
I will talk to you guys soon and have an amazing week. Talk to you guys soon. Bye guys.